Welcome back to another episode of State of the Art. This is Gabe BC, your host. You can follow us at State of the Art on Instagram or Twitter. Check out last week's episode with Glenn Kantov. Glenn's an activist, performance artist, and a social entrepreneur, one of the founders of Movers and Shakers. Um, he works a lot with augmented reality and other technology to highlight the narratives of the oppressed. Um, Glenn's doing really amazing work. So if you haven't heard that episode, go back and check it out. Um, so just wanted to check in and see how you're doing. I'm in the middle of Brooklyn. Obviously, there are still many protests going on over the killing of George Floyd, over the, over the police brutality that's been happening to black people for many, many years now. And, uh, you know, these protests are not new, but there seem to be many more protests now. And I encourage you to uh, become active in them um, and to think about what you can do. I've been thinking a lot about what I can do myself uh, as an educator, uh, as a curator, as an artist. Um, you know, donating money to uh, black arts organizations is one thing you can do. And we've listed some of them in our profile uh, on State of the Art at Instagram. You can check out some of those. Um, but, you know, donating money is one way to do this. Uh, being out and protesting is another. Um, thinking about how to enact real change on a government level. Um, having conversations, having difficult conversations with your family members, your friends. Um, you know, finding someone who disagrees with you. And really trying to understand where they come from and also trying to change their ways. You know, there's a lot of things you can do just by having those uncomfortable conversations with people. Um, and, and really thinking about uh, what kind of future you want to see for this country and, and for the world. Um, and our, our guest this week actually created a piece that looks at social media uh, and a digital being who takes in what's going on on social media um, and reacts to it in different ways. Um, so this, uh, this is a really interesting episode with uh, Lady Phoenix, an artist and curator, Jacqueline Nassar, who's a background in neuroscience and also uh, augmented reality. And they're the creators of Aya, a digital human that analyzes the world's problems and philosophically weighs in with knowledge from our greatest thinkers and problem solvers. So we're gonna talk about you know, what it's like to take in all of this media, how it makes us feel, when it's a good time to, to turn off some of that media, to tune out of it a little bit and get reacquainted with ourselves. Um, so I just want to welcome Lady Phoenix and Jacqueline Nassar to the podcast. Lady Phoenix and Jacqueline, thank you so much for joining me. Happy to be here. So maybe you can start off by telling us um, how you define your work, maybe how the two of you met as well. So... Um... Jacqueline and I met at Gallery 836M for a show, I guess, like pre-production of a show that I was doing called Re-Engineering Humanity. And um, Jacqueline at the time worked with Magic Leap, an AR company, and the show and a lot of my work is centered around AR and uh, a mutual friend or a person who I think was maybe following me online. I was like, hey, this person's doing something that may be interesting. You should go and check it out and see if there may be synergy there with your work, with Magic Leap, and with their with their work. And from there, we began talking, and I'm like, whoa, this girl is so cool. What else is she up to besides, you know, working at this company? And we delved deeper into our personal lives and personal interests, and I found out she's a neuroscientist and an artist, and we began delving further into that, talking about um, synergies along those lines. And then uh, shortly after that, Aya came to be. So I'll let Jacqueline uh, give you the rest. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, um, I had been working in tech, specifically in virtual and augmented reality for a few years. Um, but I had been meaning to explore more, you know, what was going on in, in the art space, because I think that so much of innovation starts in the art space, right? Um, and when I went to the show, I was so inspired by um, the group of people that Lady Phoenix had curated. And so it was really wonderful to speak with her um, and was thrilled uh, when we got the chance to work together. And Lady Phoenix, what was the theme of that show where the two of you met? Well, the title is Reengineering Humanity, and it's sort of thematically uh, along the lines of what we're living through now, how a lot of what happens in our environment and what we accept in the environment essentially re-engineers our lives mm-hmm. and um, thus re-engineers our personal humanity, but the humanity that we share collectively at large. And in the show, was it a variety of artists that uh, also worked with tech or was it uh, more based on the theme that you're exploring? All of these artists worked with tech. Mm-hmm. And your and your background, um, Lady Phoenix, is a curator, right? Uh, did you grow up? Wh- where where did you come from originally? Where did you grow up? Um, <laughs> I love how you went from curator to where did you grow up? <laughs> I grew up I'm in curious. a museum. Actually, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I grew up in the Natural History Museum, <laughs> and that too. informed my current practice and yeah. my views on life. No, um, <laughs> I actually was born in Sacramento, and I grew up all along the seaboard, so to speak, Um, growing up in Sacramento, being raised partially in Los Angeles, partially in the Bay Area. I've lived in Orange County. Um, So I'm a true California girl through and through, Mm -hmm. but born in the city of trees. And in terms of curation um, and reengineering humanity specifically, I saw where humanity is going (laughs) in terms of tech. There have been a lot of discussions about AI and how biased AI is and racist AI is and all of these things, which are, which are true. Um, but, and I wanted to have, I wanted to have a discussion about it. I wanted a way of bringing in the work of folks that I admire, um, into a conversation that could get people thinking about, um, the way their life and the way their thoughts are engineered by external sources. So the two of you meet at this show, and then how did you decide to start working on a project together? Well, it was Mm pre-production. So the first, I believe the first installation of the show was going up. Um, Jackie, was was it already up? And we met during the second? I feel like we met during the first. We we met It was during the first, first, yeah, uh, pre-opening night. Okay, so yeah, Reengineering Humanity uh, was a six-month partnership with Gallery 836M in San Francisco, and it had two parts. And so Jackie, Jacqueline and I met, I call her Jackie, but mm-hmm. don't you guys call her that. <laughs> <laughs> Jacqueline and I met uh, during during that part, portion one. And um, again, based on just her background and her interest, I felt there was a lot of similarities there. I really admire the way Jacqueline sees the world and how she uses her professional background to not only advance, you know, some of her own personal philosophies, but philosophies that would help humanity moving forward, specifically around tech and education. And um, there was intersections there with the work I'm doing and my thoughts. And uh, so we decided to, uh, you know, join forces and, and 
bring something to the world together. And that was Aya. And so tell us a little bit about Aya. Uh, How would you describe Aya to someone who has maybe never seen the piece or or never heard of it? Jackie, you can take this one. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So... The way that we were thinking about Aya, um, I think it's it's helpful to give some context into um, how we wanted Aya to be different from other virtual beings um, that were out there. You know, one of the things that um, really struck me was that the way that most people were thinking about virtual beings, particularly in the mainstream, was Instagram influencers um, and all of these virtual beings that were gaining popularity. Something that really struck me was that they seemed very devoid of humanity, Mm. Um, right? They're these, you know, beings that they don't eat, they don't sleep, um, and you can manipulate them into whatever you need to sell a product. And something about that felt so wrong to me because I think that as humans and as creators and technologists, we can do better than that. Um, And so when Lady Phoenix and I spoke, we really wanted to create um, a first iteration of Aya where she could be a more extreme version of humans. Um, And I thought about all of the ways that um, a virtual being being different from a human um, could be beneficial, but also as a way for us to consider our own humanity. Um, And so the the first version of Aya, which debuted at 836M, um, it's a virtual being that is absorbing all of these really traumatic and difficult experiences on the news Um, everything from uh, school shootings to police brutality. And you see Aya age over time um, from looking at these videos because unlike a human, she is unable to turn off um, her empathy in a Mm -hmm. sense. I think all of us, with everything that goes on, we we probably do our best uh, to pay attention and to give every moment its due. But ultimately, we can't. There's just so much going on in the world. And it's hard for any one human to fully process it and to be aware and present in it. But Aya is. Um, and so you see her aging in that extreme way as a way to draw attention to the fact that um, it's difficult for us to, but a virtual being may be able to, to take on that grief with us. So in a way, Aya is almost like a surrogate that is able to take on this grief for us. Is that is that how you see it? In a way, um, I would say take on the grief with us and mm-hmm. show us the the full scope of that grief. Is there a sort of a, a limitation or a cap on the problems that Aya is able to analyze? Um, or, I mean, is, I, I, <laughs> how do I refer to Aya actually? Is Aya gendered? I, I want to say, can, can Aya respond to any prompt? I don't think of Aya as gendered, even though she's represented in the work as female, because Jacqueline and I are both female. Um, but I don't necessarily think of her or Aya as a as a gendered being. Mm-hmm. And when Aya is sort of responding or, or taking in all of these issues, what uh, what are these problems that Aya is, re- is responding to? Is there a certain search that you're looking at on social media, um, or is it sort of the, the weight of every single issue at once? Mm, great question. Um, so the, for the first iteration, we focused specifically on tweets. Um, so tweets around things like school shootings, police brutality. Um, and so not that she would be responding to, to anything. Um, for future iterations, if we begin to work beyond tweets, we do want her to be able to respond to more 
um, personal prompts, but for the first iteration, it was all specifically tweets and around certain hashtags that, that seemed not only topical, um, but also had the, the strongest negative valence, if you will. And, and why do you choose to have Aya age physically as she consumes more and more news? Yeah, um, we thought that showing a virtual being age was really important because it's not something that um, we had seen done before. Um, when you see virtual beings, they're all essentially ageless. Um, and we thought that age is something that is a part of being human. Um, and so for virtual beings, why would we take away their ability to age? And also we wanted to show that a virtual being could, could feel and could react, um, in the same way that a human does. And, and perhaps even more so depending on the content they're consuming. And does Aya respond in any way to this content? Is there any sort of, um, output or message that comes from Aya? Yeah, there's so um, there, she responds via facial expressions. Um, and we are also experimenting with different ways that she can actually respond um, via email and messages, but we haven't released that version yet. Hmm, interesting. I, I want to kind of bring up the current political situation as it pertains to Aya as well. I mean, you said that at some point Aya responding, uh, responds to police brutality and obviously, right now we're living in the middle of a, a, a you know very important time uh, with lots of protests going on. And I'm thinking about Aya, you know, looking at all this media and how we're all sort of feeling like we're looking at tons of media on Twitter. I'm kind of curious uh, what your feelings are in terms of how the media has played into this movement, um, whether that's social media or the way people are yeah, capturing so videos. I think it's also um, important to know if we can rewind for a moment that mm -hmm. at the um, iteration of Aya last year we had very much the same like bombardment with images in the media of mm -hmm. police abusing black people. Um, it seemed like daily on Twitter, on Instagram, on various forms of media platforms, uh, there was news of a black pe person being abused, being killed, being, uh, you know, unjustly roughed up in some way, whether it be emotionally or physically, by the police. And at the time that I met Jacqueline, I was, my cup was full, you know, and I felt like I didn't want to keep seeing that, but I also felt like someone who was not human, <laughs> mm -hmm. coming with all of the inherent biases that humans have and the prejudices that humans share and have personally, um, having someone to talk to about it, someone who could understand was really important. Um, and I think that we are seeing that again, right, in 2020. And also at the time, the inspiration for Aya was Dorian Gray, the picture of Dorian Gray mm. by Oscar Wilde. Um, if folks are not familiar with that, I encourage you to go Google that. But essentially, um, Dorian Gray <laughs> remains young and pristine and perfect and beautiful while his portrait ages and becomes grotesque and takes on, you know, his emotions. Essentially, um, when people are stressed out and neuroscientists, uh, or neuroscience will, um, validates that when people are stressed out, they age, their, their brain ages, um, they physically age. And so at the time with all of the shootings and the news and being overwhelmed by constant daily um, reports 
of abuses. I'm like, man, it would be great if, you know, <laughs> it'd be great to be Dorian Gray in a sense mm. where I can remain not stressed. I can, I can look like I've, like I've just swam, you know, or come, you know, come from the beach or just, I, I, I look unbothered, you know, um, be great to be able to share that, that grief or that emotion with something or someone in a way, you know, kind of the way Dorian Gray did. And so I think that's, um, you know, wanted to, to just set a little bit more context for, yeah. for that, because I feel like everyone right now is, a bit overwhelmed, not just black people, you know? And, um, I think that uh, many people, I don't want to speak for everyone, but certainly many people based on what we see in the news, based on what we're seeing on social media, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, um, folks are completely overwhelmed by the situation, you know? And so, um, you were saying, <laughs> yeah, no, I think that's really important, and I'm I'm wondering how how do we deal with those with that with those feelings? How do we deal with this immense grief and outrage, and you know, at the same time? And it's interesting that this project you created sort of this virtual being to embody this or to share this feeling in some way. But I'm curious, how, how do you deal with that? I mean, do you, when you look at both of you, when you look at the the constant stream of tweets and the constant stream of media? Do you feel like Aya? I mean, or is it? Uh, I mean, does that pop into your mind sometimes when you're when you're perusing social media? Totally. For me personally, I I today is a today is kind of hard, you know, to be honest with everyone. Um, I feel a little bit overwhelmed by. I don't even. I feel like overwhelmed is kind of used too much. I wish I. Overwhelmed is not is not necessarily the word I want to use, although it's a great it's a great word to use here. It's a great word choice. I think that visually, if I can, you know, paint a picture, I'd say that um, my cup is full. Mm-hmm. <laughs> my cup is full on just all of the sensationalism. My cup is full on the repeated histories of America the repeated atrocities, the repeated ignorance. Um, I'm wondering and, you know, curious about what it's going to take for us to learn and to really grow, grow in a way that we are not repeating certain mistakes because we've matured as a collective. And while I'm wondering these things, I know that there are scientists and innovators and technologists who, in my mind, based on their research and their projects, seem to be over the human collective, (laughs) over the ignorance, and they are focusing on a cybernetic collective Mm. of intelligence. And they're using, literally using human beings (laughs) and the data you know, that we create through our thoughts, we share online, through our behaviors out in society and our behavior towards others to inform their cybernetic collective and their AI. And I'm concerned that as a humanity, you know, we'll repeat another 400 years of ignorance. And in that repetition of time, there will be a parallel collective, i.e. the cybernetic collective, mm. that will have 
that will be leagues ahead of us. And we will make ourselves extinct in a sense, or we will make ourselves the food supply um, due to our lack of growth. And Can you elaborate a little more on the cybernetic collective? I'm not sure I fully understand exactly. And maybe I'm just not aware of this. Um, <laughs> well, the cyber, in my mind, and I think like just out in the world, <laughs> mm-hmm. in the field, the cybernetic collective is the collective of intelligence that's coming um, to to the forefront. The AI, the artificial intelligence. Or I hate to even say artificial because it's soon not to be artificial. Um, I would just say the intelligence. It's it's a delineation of, for me, with human beings, consciousness versus those who are not conscious, i.e. those who remain in ignorance and ignorant cycles and then those who have grown, right? Um, where history is no longer repeating itself, um, but now we're advancing. And then the other side of that would be robo-sentient versus just sentient, meaning um, intelligence that can feel, right, versus intelligence that cannot feel. And right now, there are many robo-sentient beings or projects coming forward. Jacqueline earlier spoke to the Instagram models or Instagram digital Instagram digital humans, mm-hmm. for example. And right now, they are not robo-sentient, nor are they sentient. But on a future timeline, you know, within the next 10 years or sooner, those digital beings will be sentient or robo-sentient. Um, so. I, I guess it becomes <laughs> a question of who has control or who's programming those beings, right? And I'm curious. I mean, we are. Right. But, but also within us, like, who are we? You know, if, if it's a big tech company programming those beings, I think it's different than if everyone has control or, I mean, maybe there's just an illusion of control in the first place when it comes to personas online because it's being, they're being uh, controlled by a company that you're interfacing with in the first place. Um, I'm curious, sort of, Jacqueline, from a neuroscience scientist perspective, is this something that you're thinking about, that you're talking about, the sort of neuroscience behind these virtual beings or digital beings? It's not, um, it's definitely something that I think about a lot. It's not necessarily um, an area of expertise of mine, but I think a lot about how, particularly for, you know, younger kids that are interacting with AIs and virtual beings for the first time, they may not be able to always tell the difference. Um, And so I think a lot about the ethics behind the creation of um, virtual beings and AI, because as a society right now, look at all of the things that we're realizing that we got wrong. And so I think it's important that all of us, as we work to repair and reform the fabrics of our society, that we also critically think about the kinds of technology that we're putting forth, particularly when we start to talk about an AI uh, or a virtual being. Yeah, and I think that came to the forefront this week when people were talking about computer vision and and, uh, face tracking specifically. And now a lot of tech companies seem to be pulling out of that technology. Right. Uh, Do you see other technologies that would also uh, be ripe for change in that same way or technologies that we shouldn't be investigating in the same way? Well, I think even looking at the effects of social media um, platforms like Facebook, platforms like Twitter, I really 
think it's important that all of these discussions are coming to the forefront of how those companies have a responsibility to make sure that, um, you know, that they're not pushing one type of agenda onto our timelines. Um, and so I think that the lesson really for us is that technology is not something that, you know, when you create it, you necessarily know how it's going to impact society and how it impacts society on year one might be different for how it impacts society on year two, year five, year 10. Um, and so my hope is that as a society, we will start to audit the effects of our technology and study them more. Um, and so I think that really any type of tech that we use from cell phones to social platforms um, to more emerging type tech, right, like facial recognition, as you mentioned, they should all continuously be audited and studied. And are you thinking about uh, teaming up again on a future project? I'm really interested in if, if the world of Aya is an expansive world. Is Aya meant to be take place within our ex existing world, or is this a completely different virtual environment where Aya lives? No, Aya lives in our world. She she's born in real life of two human beings, Jacqueline and I, and she is meant to, you know interact with humanity just as Jacqueline and I interact with humanity. I mean, this is Aya 1.0. We would hope that Aya is dynamic and will have a life moving forward with the other cybernetic collective of beings. I mean, people, people will tell you that they're pulling out of certain research and technologies. They're not. <laughs> <laughs> they're not. And I, they're not. <laughs> if they're if they're com if if it's widely known or 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 you know, the idea circulated that data is the new oil. They're not. They're absolutely not pulling out of any types of platforms or research that will allow them to be data rich or oil rich. You understand? So yeah. I think that we as human beings need to audit our own behavior. We as human beings need to make sure that we're putting forth our best efforts because the AI and all creation really is being made in our image. It's coming from our minds, our hearts, our beliefs, our social structures. We're literally taking all of the collective data and putting it into our creations, right? Um, and so... I'm 100% on board with what Jacqueline expressed about um, oversight and, um, you know, these companies taking a greater responsibility. But I would add that they can only take responsibility for their product such that they're taking the same or similar or having similar consciousness around their own behavior, right, and their own output. <laughs> yeah. We can't. Yeah. I was just going to say it's it's hard to to think that a company that may have had some infractions, like you know, uh, sexual abuses or um, financial abuses, would also be would also be more mindful of you know te technological or data abuses, mm -hmm. you know, such as making sure that um, they're not pushing propaganda to everyone on in their in their feeds <laughs> you know <laughs> yeah. such as was the case with trump right when in his election 
right? Such as and even what, today, going, I mean, there's things happening. Yeah, the day we're recording, right you know, right now. <laughs> yeah, right now. So, or suppressing, right? Suppressing certain voices um, to make sure they can't be heard. Um, I love the Instagram platform. I love that technology. I think that there's also. Um, I know that there's also lots of talk of them shadow banning people, right? There's lots of talk of um, YouTube shadow banning people, um, deactivating accounts, removing content from from the platform. I think that something that I think about a lot um, is social media insurance, right? That we've already we already have virtual selves. We already have these avatars in the form of who we represent ourselves to be online. Even if we're quote unquote online personalities or, you know, Instagram stars or social media um, celebrities, that in and of itself is a character or a personality that's an avatar. And I think that certain, I think that everyone, you know, in a future timeline, I see everyone being able to have social media insurance and them being able to attach life insurance, if you will, to their avatars hmm. so that they cannot be digitally removed because in a future timeline, that data, the data we're creating now, the data we've created in the past will be used to create our digital copies in the future, right? So that's how folks will be remembered. That's how folks, that's how they know quote, I was here, right? You won't have to write, I was here anymore <laughs> on the park bench or the tree or the bathroom stall uh, wall. The I was here will be represented by your avatar. And if certain tech companies have the power to silence a, a person now, right? Certainly they will have that power to silence the digital representation of that person through their memories, through their activity online, through their work in a future timeline. So if right now we can take steps to have insurance for our avatars, our expressions in the digital world, then I think that ensures that beings such as Aya have a greater chance of remaining allied with humanity instead of allied against humanity which is the fear of many people, including like an AI, an Elon Musk, where he says, hey, we got to slow down with the AI. You know, we, got, we need more oversight. We need more checks and balances. You know, we, we're in a situation now where many of us feel like we can't, we're not in control as a society. So imagine, as a human collective, right? So imagine parallel to that, things getting out of control with the cybernetic collective. That's, <laughs> I think that's a kind of chaos we can rein in very early by getting the parent group, i.e. the human collective, together. Doesn't that idea of social media insurance and sort of this idea of insurance for our digital selves, isn't that impacted largely by who controls our data in the first place? Like who controls our avatars and who controls our, our memories or access to our memories? Well, see, that's the thing. Why, why isn't the who us? Mm. <laughs> you know, it's like, why are we? Why have we? And I guess that the sort of like easy answer is ignorance. But 
why why should we continue? I think for me, that's mm-hmm. the better question. Why should we continue to allow these folks to have access to our memories, have access? Pri- what I mean by access is prime access. I think that technology and these tech companies should be partnered with humanity, not somehow uh, <laughs> not making not money somehow elevated yeah. above humanity, where they're essentially quote unquote, giving us a place to connect and to store memories and thoughts and ideas, giving us a platform to monetize. It's like, no, um, you know, again, love Instagram, but Instagram does nothing. <laughs> <laughs> well, some people, we want, do, some people argue we, that it does a lot though for them, right? But are you saying that no, those people? Uh, well, what I mean, I mean it in this way. Instagram mm-hmm. does nothing in terms of Without the human input, right. Instagram would be lifeless. So humanity has breathed life into these social platforms. Humanity breathes life into Facebook, into Instagram in particular, right? Mm-hmm. Um, since Instagram is largely visual, whereas YouTube is kind of like a mix of different types of inputs. But Instagram is largely and, and began as a visual photo platform. So the the humans breathe life into that entity that is now the prime source of how we communicate, you know, how we monetize, how we live our lives, right? And so what I'm saying is that um, Instagram, in a sense, owes a great debt to humanity because Instagram is very wealthy. Instagram has a lot of power. Instagram has a great ability to uplift humanity, to connect humanity, to to be a canon, if you will, for humanity. So when we look back 400 years, 500 years on who we were in 2020, we're able to really see the growth of ourselves. We saw where we were. Sure, we can get all of the, from the, you know, twerking to the Instagram models, to the comedians, to the babies, right? <laughs> to the to the IG prophets and professors, mm-hmm. Right, we have we have a mix of all of that, and I think it's, I think it's more than just getting the data and getting rich. More than just collecting the data on behavior and informing their cybernetic collective of AIs. I think it has to be much more than that. But until they take that stand to say yes, we will do that. Right, Instagram is just an example. It's all the tech companies I'm really speaking of. Until they say yes, we will do that. We'll be allied with humanity. we need avatar insurance Mm -hmm. because if they want to censor folks in the future, being that we're moving towards a uh, transhumanist world, right? They want to censor folks. All they have to do is erase them. And are you having meetings with tech? I mean, I think it's fantastic. I'm curious if you're having meetings with tech companies about this concept and really pushing them to consider the idea of, of social media insurance and how we can actually work to make these platforms beneficial to people rather than necessarily um, just using people for their attention. You know, it's like this. A cheetah cannot become a zebra. So rather than speaking to zebras about becoming cheetahs, I just focus on cheetahs and having <laughs> conversations with them. And I know that amongst your audience, there are cheetahs mm-hmm. present. 
And so what I'm saying is for them. And also Jacqueline and I might do an avatar insurance company. Yeah, Forget you State Farm. You know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's what I'm, I'm kind of hoping that's where this is going. <laughs> is that in the works? This might be a plug. Like, early, you, know? you should. That's fantastic. I think it's great. You have, I mean, I'll be a customer for sure, you know? Um, I'm curious about Aya. You mentioned Aya 2.0 and what the future of Aya could hold. We've speculated a lot on possible futures here. Is there talks of creating an Aya 2.0? Are the two of you collaborating again on something right now? Yeah, absolutely. Um, something that we want to do, given that the first iteration was really meant to be experienced in a gallery environment, we're looking at ways that we can make Aya available um, either through like, more of a mobile application or online experience uh, so that more people can interact with Aya. Yeah, sounds great. That's fantastic. And, and Lady Phoenix, I'm curious, um, in terms of art making right now and art curation, are you working on any current shows? Are you making your own work? Um, I'm, I'm curious what's going on with you in this time. Um, have you not, are you not interested in talking about art at all? You know, people have been giving me very different responses. But I'm curious, um, as a curator, what, what you're thinking about right now. Yeah, I'm, I'm having conversations with tech companies and with galleries right now. Um, there are a few folks who saw Reengineering Humanity both one and two and are interested in a more um, sort of like concentrated and expanded understanding of what it means to reengineer humanity. Uh, it's not something I can talk about at the moment, um, but yeah, I'm. I took a long break. I think it's important for folks. I'm going to speak from the eye, but just know I also mean for humanity at large. Um, I think it's important to take breaks from technology. I think being in the analog world is fantastic. We've done it for thousands of years, <laughs> and um, you know, getting out in nature, putting your feet in the soil where there's no technology uh, present, you're not attached to your phone, you're not attached to the laptop, you know, I think that's really important. So for me, I make an effort to focus on being unplugged, and I have been unplugged for, I would say, a good six months, and now um, I'm starting to work again and have a few projects uh, in the works, and yeah, you'll It'll be something I can share soon, but I just, I can't share it now. But yeah, I'm, I'm in the mix. I keep it balanced though. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's a hard balance to find. I feel like, uh, I think you just have to do it. I yeah. think that, you know, initially not getting online, especially that's kind of like, you know, the bulk of my world and also, you know, my finances is online. And so when I take breaks, um, it's just like, Ooh, ouch, I could be doing this thing, but then my peace of mind my mental health, <laughs> mm -hmm. my sleep patterns, those, those, uh, those aspects are too great to uh, negotiate with paying attention, you know? And I think attention has its own economy and certainly, you know, getting money from the attention that people give online, i.e. monetizing uh, virtual presences is, is great and everything, but man, it does not compare to sleep. It does not compare <laughs> to mental health it does not compare to just getting out and like touching the leaves and you know like feeling feeling the earth on your under your feet and not worried about you know responding to folks in comments or worried about responding to folks in dms or emails or any of that i think it's just really important to 
get off the wheel. And this may be an unpopular statement, but I, one of the sort of like highlights for me of shelter in place was the exhalation. It's like, you know, (laughs) thank God, stillness, stillness. Stillness, the, the no longer glorifying being busy, no longer like, yeah, I'm working on this project and I'm doing this thing. And just like, no, man, you know what I'm doing? I'm at home, sitting down, looking at my flowers bloom. I'm at home, taking an extra nap in the day. I'm at home, preparing a meal. I'm actually, I haven't ordered on Uber Eats. I haven't ordered on, you know, Grubhub. I'm actually making a meal. You know, know, I have time. Yeah, I have. I I have time now. Time is such such a luxury. It's a luxury, man. Time and oxygen, (laughs) old fashioned stuff. You know, such a luxury. And to be able to get off the wheel for a moment, you know, has been wonderful. It's been wonderful. And yeah, so I had to take a break. I had to take a break, um, recharge. You know, rest. Rest is important. I think um, folks don't don't really give enough uh, attention to proper sleep, to even breathing properly. Most of us are so used to holding our breath or taking sips of oxygen that we, you know, just like ah, you know, like, wow, the lungs full of pure oxygen and how relaxing that can be to not be darting from one thing to another. And I know folks were doing Zoom and still trying to stay busy. And it's just like now people are full of Zoom. They're over it. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, we definitely hit a point where I felt like Zoom is no longer fun anymore (laughs) or cute. (laughs) It's really, it it feels like, do you think, I mean, I don't mean to keep bringing this back to Aya, but it just pops into my mind that like, you know, because of the quarantine because of being inside all the time that we've become sort of these beings that live online ourselves, that we're communicating only through Zoom, that we're taking in all this information. And I know that you're saying right now to take time to be human again, uh, or to to breathe that fresh air and to to take yourself away from this digital distraction and, and digital environment. Um, do you see Aya as sort of a Will we all have our own version of Aya in the future that will be able to take in this information for us? Is that is that a future that you're sort of forecasting? I think that, um, so initially, you know, as Jacqueline spoke about um, with the police brutality and school shootings, Aya 1.0 initially represents and is for, you know, literally people who can't breathe. You know, Aya essentially is an extra lung for people who can't breathe. So I think that, you know, in a future timeline that's not dystopian, I see Aya being on everyone's digital device if they want to opt in, right? And Aya could potentially not necessarily take over for folks. I see Aya as more as a partner that takes on and takes in information so that folks can continue staying engaged. I think that from what I observed of society and my own personal experience, when we're full of overwhelming energy, overwhelming situations, you know, when we're full of trauma, we tend to um, 
disengage or disassociate. And I think in doing so, we can create, we can avoid one problem and create another, right? So Aya would be there for folks who want to remain engaged, but not overwhelmed. And I think that in the future, sure, you know, um, Aya could possibly be for everyone who wants Aya. We have to understand that not not everyone will want Aya, you know? So I think that choices are, informed choices are really important. And so those who would want Aya, sure, why not? Jacqueline, what do you think? Yeah, I absolutely agree. And I think something else that could be interesting one of the uh, the things that has really helped me uh, process a lot of the a lot of my current grief about what's going on is uh, the people that I follow who are posting articles and resources on um, what kinds of organizations to donate to, where to spend your time. And so I also wonder if Aya could um, provide suggestions too on, hey, I know you're feeling grief in this. Here's a suggestion on how you may be able to take action if you're, say, more in a position of privilege where you have that. Or, hey, it seems like this is really getting to you. You know, Go outside for a walk or have you checked in with your therapist lately? Things like that. So there's an active uh, response from Aya as well. I mean, I think yeah. that's something that a lot of people are feeling right now, um, sort of in this revitalization that's going on in the last couple of weeks of the Black Lives Matter movement. And like Lady Phoenix said, this is not a new thing. And last year, you know, there there's been many uh, protests going on in the past, you know, forever, but especially in the past couple of years that have been more featured on social media. Um, and I, I wonder what you say to people that would say, I, I need to be paying attention to this all the time. Like I need to be taking in all this information. Um, as opposed to unplugging from it every once in a while. What, what would you say to people who have that sort of perspective? That's a great question. I think I, w- I would challenge that can any one human being really be constantly glued in without taking a break um, or a respite? I think it's there's a difference, I think, between being engaged um, which also takes a lot of energy and bravery to be engaged constantly. Um, and with being glued to the news cycle, let's say. Um, and so I think that we as humans need to think more through what does it really mean to be constantly engaged? And I think that you can be consistently present and engaged while still being mindful of, uh, your mental health. I think that that could make you even more engaged. Um, and so it's really, to me, just a conversation about what it means to be constantly clued into these things. Um, I think sometimes we think that if we're listening to everything and reading every article, then that's what it is. But I'm not so sure that, that that's what being truly engaged is. Mm. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And if I may add, I would just like to say that in my mind, engaged and conscious are two different things. I think that folks can remain unconscious but engaged, and so that's not very helpful. And in fact, it's uh, I think it's damaging to a person's psyche and physical health. And a person can remain conscious of a situation, pardon me, and present, but choose to um, fall back, choose to uh, not be online, right? Choose to not engage with. Uh, the media aspect or the social media platforms. Yeah, I think that's a really great distinction. 
Um, thank you so much for sharing your work with us today. Is there anything that we didn't touch on that you'd like to touch on still before we uh, leave for the episode? Um, no, I think that um, we've, for me, I feel complete. <laughs> I feel complete. And um, I guess my question would be for you, Gabe, are mm-hmm. you, would you have Aya as a partner? And what are your, what do you feel your needs are at this time? And how can tech help? That's a great question. I mean, I, I would love to see what it would feel like to have Aya as a partner. I mean, I think a lot about digital memories and storage and archives and who will own those memories in the future. Um, I did a whole project about sort of digital afterlives. Um, and so it's something that I'm definitely interested in. I, I think that I would love to have a digital partner in that way. I think that um, I would be worried about the sort of information that is filtered through this digital partner, I guess. And I think if there was a way to actually map sort of my consciousness or what I desired that consciousness to be in, then I think it would be very useful, especially for what you're talking about in terms of being able to connect with myself again. And it's funny because when I first learned about Aya, I didn't see Aya necessarily as a tool to connect with yourself so much. But after talking with both of you, I I can definitely understand how that's the goal of the project. Um, So I guess the short answer is, uh, yes, I would love to have Aya (laughs) or a version of Aya. Um, but I, I'm not sure exactly how that would make me feel. Um, I, let me know if you're going to try, <laughs> if you need someone to try out uh, Aya 2.0, because I'm definitely interested. Yeah, absolutely. So how do we find Aya online? Is there a way to uh, interface with Aya, or is Aya going to be shown anywhere coming up soon? So no current way um, to interact with her online, though we're working on that. Um, And in terms of upcoming showings, I'll let Lady Phoenix speak to that. So Aya will be exhibited in the Athens Biennale 2021, which is pretty awesome. uh, We were supposed to exhibit this year, but because of social changes and the CV, we we will not be, the Biennale will not be happening, but for sure, um, the intention and the efforts will be towards 2021 in Athens, Greece, March through May for the Athens Biennale. That's fantastic. I'm really yeah. excited about that. Um, Jacqueline Assar and Lady Phoenix, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. Um, and we'll look for you on social media. Thank you. Thanks for listening to another episode of State of the Art. I'm Gabe BC. Uh, You can always follow me at Gabe BC. Uh, If you have any ideas or suggestions or comments you want to relay to us, you can send me an email at Gabe at thestateoftheart.org. We're happy to read some questions on the air or uh, communicate directly with you through social media at State of the Art on Twitter and Instagram. State of the Art is an at-art production originally created by Ethan Appleby. Uh, Weston Stevens is our audio engineer extraordinaire and Vanessa Wilson is our producer. And I hope that they're all doing well and uh, I've been communicating with them a little bit and they seem like they're safe and healthy. And I hope our audience is also uh, doing well and staying indoors and being safe. So we'll talk to you again next week. Thanks.